forgot the backup. Forgot to press the record button. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you do it all the time, I mean, like, I I fuck up playing music, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it happens. People. Ah, uh, yeah. Mistakes. So, for the kids tuning in just now, which uh, is everybody, because you know, yep. there's nothing before this. <laughs> <laughs> It got uh, deleted by Rob. If it wasn't saved, does it exist? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, so Alex and I had a nice half-hour conversation and um, <laughs> talked about the beach, the sounds of the forest and how calming it is. And then we started talking about Hans Zimmer, and I was sharing the audio through Zoom and apparently switching the audio import. What I don't know. It triggered something on the computer, and it crashed logic. So um, not only did it cut off the recording, but when I opened it back up, everything was gone. So <laughs> yeah, I'll just briefly recap what I was saying. Um, and if you want the full detail, I guess just take the master class. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll, uh, if I can find some, some good clips, I'll insert some clips from the master class that I took Um about Hans Zimmer or with Hans Zimmer. Um, but some, some interesting kind of examples that he gave in how he works is working closely with a director, of course, to kind of craft the, the style of the sound, um, obviously to tell a story. Um, but in his, his way of telling a story is, uh, you know, in addition to a lot of pieces of music, you know, that help craft and drive emotion and uh, changes in a scene, his his themes and it, like we talked about in the last episode, the leitmotif, it, there's a lot of really character-driven music, I feel like. And um, so he, he gave examples of, in Sherlock Holmes, um, typically... There, there have been a lot of different Sherlock Holmes movies and TV shows, um, and the the character plays the violin, but typically uh, they portray this person as a super genius, who therefore is very sophisticated in you know plays classical music, and so, uh, you know Zimmer and who who did the the movie? I want to say the the director's name. Um, I have no idea. I have no idea movie. who did Sherlock Holmes. Well, you can look that up later because, yeah, not important. <laughs> <laughs> the director, uh, the writer, you know, wanted to give uh, an interesting uh, twist to this kind of discombobulated genius of Sherlock Holmes. And if you've seen the movie and, you know, or at least you know Robert Downey Jr., you can kind of picture the zany is kind of similar Tony Stark personality. Same thing exists in Sherlock Holmes. And, uh, so Zimmer wanted to represent this in the music and he tried to find, okay, well, what's, you know, the inverse of the fancy classical violin style. Well, maybe mm -hmm. that would be folksy fiddle type of style of music. And, um, he actually went out in person to different countries in Eastern Europe uh, to seek out different camps of Roma and just join in their music. He, some people in his group spoke German, some spoke English, um, a couple spoke, uh, I don't maybe know. Italian? Maybe, yeah. Um, Russian, I think, too. Anyway, 
It was uh, pretty hard communicating, but he talked about how, you know, they just kind of, it's corny, but they spoke through music. He would just get out instruments and his friends would get out instruments. They would play, the Roma would play. And um, he got off uh, enough kind of uh, communication to interest some of them to come back to London and record in a studio with him. And um, he... He was. He talked about the. You know, it's a mixture of uh, not just putting notes to paper and then finding the the best, most renowned performers to play them, but mm-hmm. matching the style that he's getting across with the the performer itself, that personality, how they play, what their style is. So obviously, you know, a Roma performer is going to be very different than a classically trained person. And even the instruments themselves, the way that the instruments are made, uh, influence how you play them, how they sound, and all of that uh, went into creating the sound of Sherlock. Um, Another interesting thing that you'll hear in this piece is the piano. He talked about um, looking for some uh, really kind of busted up pianos. And uh, mm-hmm. I think they even bought a couple of really old used pianos on Craigslist or something, but they were actually still in too good of a shape. So he he took some out, <laughs> I think, to like a garage and <clears throat> his team um, really beat the shit out of these pianos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, like detuned them and just abused them, poured water all over them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so all of this, you know, we talked about, you know, finding the right type of performer, um, but then also doing these things to the instruments to create a very unique, um, specialized, non-polished type of sound. And uh, so that's what you get from uh, part of this track. And I'll see if I can find another one after this. But let's just listen a little bit to Discombobulate, which is the first track on the soundtrack. going to go through the whole thing since we already heard it but Mm -hmm. some initial you know things i'm pulling out of that are you can hear in the piano for example it's a mixture of uh playing the keys as well as playing on the actual strings so you'll hear the like ding but then it's followed by a little tremolo of of i think someone is using their fingers to go on the actual using a pick i mean or yeah Yeah, yeah, or pick or something finger strumming but it's it's not the actual hammer of the piano so you hear it's a mixture of of that um right right i don't know what exactly is going on with the 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 bass or the cellos but you you hear the slapping of the strings on the instrument so there's some level of abuse going on in terms of the way they're playing that too which is interesting right well that's a very common way of playing folk music a lot of times also just because you don't have percussion in it um you may create the percussion yourself like it's really a common way of playing like folk bass like stand-up bass um in both jazz and in folk music is to pop the strings oh yeah purely for the effect of adding uh, like a Bartok pits is the technical term, I guess, for that. Um, 
you know, doing a pizzicato, but pizzicato is where you pluck the string with your finger, but then pulling it hard enough that it slaps against the fingerboard um, would be doing a Bartok pizzicato. (laughs) And then, but then, yeah, this is a, that's a very common way of playing folk, folk bass to add percussion um, and knocking on the bass and stuff like that. I'm sure they did Mm -hmm. some percussive sounds in this soundtrack on like by just literally hitting the piano with something. Um, the other thing I found really interesting is that the the well at least what made me think of the rhythmic motive of this is the dun da da dun da da dun da da dun right mm-hmm. that's very like common in like a beret like it's like a one of the like box like courtly dances a beret huh. so I don't know if that was intentional or not but it's kind of like if he's if his aim is to mix these two styles of like refined classical and then the folk music maybe that's like kind of a a throw to the classical yeah. part but played in this very um like a rough and tumble style you could say yeah yeah and that's that's interesting i didn't think about that but yeah you mm-hmm. can kind of get a sense of what i was describing with the the rougher type of playing that you know he's not going to get if he goes to the uh you know the london symphony orchestra um right even if you ask those people to play that way it just wouldn't It'd be hard for them to do it naturally, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or they'd be like, ooh, do I don't want to hurt capable. my beautiful cello. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, if you know you trained yourself to to not ever produce sounds like that, then, yeah, it's yeah harder. Um, one of the things I noticed um, in our first listen of that was the there is some violin, like bowed violin, that mm-hmm. comes in. And the vibrato on that um, felt very classical as opposed to like a you know there's like a lot less of the vibrato is just a little bit different in like folk music on the violin mm-hmm. like you probably use some vibrato but that one felt very like oh like i don't know, like almost like you're listening to like a violin concerto and there's like a lot of emotion emoting going mm-hmm. on through the vibrato which wouldn't be the case in in uh roman music so i wonder if there's like a, a again just like blending those two ideas together yeah, I, and having different voices pop in that maybe are more refined, and then, and I think he yeah. he did mention he paired up, I don't know the musicians' names, but you know a a more classical type of violinist, um, a concert violinist type of person was collaborating with the Roma performers, so it was mm-hmm. a little bit of that mixture, I think. Yeah, um, I have another one that I hearted. I don't remember what the theme is but let's just play it back and um see if we get anything else interesting from this so this one is marital sabotage
lots of cool stuff going on in that track. Um, I think I noticed about like, well, I don't know how many, but lots of different string string effects mm-hmm. going on. Um, right at the beginning, there's the bass playing at uh, either bass or cello, probably bass. I can't remember now, but playing at the frog of the bow. What's the frog? The frog, I know. I have no idea why it's called the frog, but I'm sure there's a violinist or string player out there going like, "How do you not know that?" But anyway, the frog or the bow is right at the right. Um, if you imagine like the tip of the bows at the far end from mm-hmm. the hand, and the frog or the bows at the other end. So the the part of the bow that's closest to your hand, and when you play there, especially on thick gauge strings, you get a real like crunchy mm. sound. Yeah, that's kind of what's going on there at the beginning. That's some like spiccato playing, which spiccato playing is where you bounce the string on the bow or bounce the bow on the string. Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get some of those like kind of like yeah. sounds. Interesting. Um, wow, that waveform looked really cool on my garage band when I went there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, what else did I notice? And that was, I mean, oh, the, uh, the one of the coolest ones, and people should try this if they're ever near a grand piano, but if you put your fingers on a low like the bottom octave the lowest set of notes on a piano put your finger on a string and then play it mm-hmm. uh, loud it produces this really cool harmonic but oh, if you have to hold also the uh the sustain pedal the, down yeah. so it rings but it creates this like it's like you're in the like a huge room and someone has like i don't know like played some percussion instrument i mean it just that the the effect of the actual hitting the string is not that cool but how it resonates with all of the notes in the in the all the strings that are right next to it against the soundboard like yeah. it's really awesome i've i've unique. played with that back when i used to have a baby grand and um it's uh i, I would describe it as it's like <laughs> you're it's still allowing the string to vibrate so you're getting some sound but um since you are inhibiting most of the vibration i the sound you're mostly hearing is the hammer hitting a cable it makes mm-hmm. you think of like i don't know what they're called but you ever see those like construction like just rods of metal and like it makes you think of like hitting one of those like on the ground it's like mm-hmm. it's just yeah very physical yeah and I think that's the mm-hmm. whole thing going on with this. I It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, so I don't know what scene it matches up to. The track is called yeah. Marital Sabotage, so it might have something mm-hmm. to do with his relationship going on there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... Um, trying to think of any any interesting other things I heard in there. Well, I mean, talking back to uh, something that was in Inception, there's the polyrhythm going on at the end where the tempo is like this and it's ba 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 which is doing yeah four over three one two three four one two one two three four one two one two three four so the four part is like being played over three beats you're playing four notes and so it kind of creates this dual dual pulse if you can feel a pulse in two different places oh, for a, a moment. Um, again, not sure if that has anything to do with the, uh, it, it could be, <laughs> you know, line, two characters. But, one one mm-hmm. thing, I, and I don't, I don't think we heard it here, but, um, in the masterclass, he talks about, again, with the characters, uh, Moriarty 
uh, being like the bad guy, either in this one or the other one, uh, other Sherlock movie. Um, he actually gave Moriarty the more refined classical motif and mm. gave Sherlock the kind of wonky, folksy type of motif. Um, and he said how, you know, usually composers, they, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to spend, you don't want to invest too much into the bad guy because they're the bad guy and you don't want to make their theme beautiful or too interesting. Um, mm-hmm because the focus should be on the hero and he said that you know he might have actually fallen a little bit in love with uh you know doing moriarty and so i don't know if if i ever go back and watch that movie or if anyone else listening does see what happens when you know they introduce sort of the villains in in here because uh, he might have you know while he, he did these kind of weird unique types of sounds and textures for sherlock as the main character the protagonist he he might have done the more kind of typical classical type of stuff for the antagonist yeah so yeah yeah was more what i guess moriarty was the i don't remember if it was in this movie or or another sherlock movie but you know he's the kind of the ongoing uh bad guy sherlock's brother right i think in this one it was a guy named lord blackwood Oh, okay. Was the serial killer or something? But maybe there, maybe uh, Moriarty was also in it. It's so weird because there's so many um, Sherlock Holmes, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I have a hard time. Anytime somebody talks about Sherlock Holmes now, I just instantly think about the Benedict Cumberbatch yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Because um, I, I honestly think that's the best one. I mean, yeah, I think my that's personal favorite this one as a movie. <laughs> right. Um, but it's interesting how they interpreted the characters in a totally different way, like where. In this one, Sherlock Holmes is kind of the off the wall goofy one, mm-hmm. and the villain is the uh, the like really kind of like buttoned up like proper guy. But yeah. in in the other one, like Sherlock is, I mean he's kind of out there, but he's still like kind of very proper and you know speaks kind of poshly and everything. And mm-hmm. then the Moriarty is like the totally bonkers, whacked out dude. You yeah. Know? <laughs> um, so anyway, it's just kind of interesting the way people different directions people go yeah and how the music plays into that yeah exactly so you know that's the writer and director wanted to take a very different spin on these these familiar characters and i think hans zimmer must have been a great partner with uh whoever wrote this (laughs) because i don't remember um because yeah he did did a good job reflecting that well guy Ritchie uh directed it okay and i mean you know the story is written by Arthur Conan Doyle. I mean, like the script. But oh, yeah. the script, screenplay, screenplay. Michael Robert Johnson, Anthony Peckham, Simon Kinberg. I don't know any of those people. Yeah. So, oh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I want to. Uh, I, w- I want to get into Interstellar a, a little bit if we can, um, and and not draw this out to to three episodes. But um, I'll just wrap up with the Dark Knight. And it's it's hard to to drop in samples here because um, the tracks are so long, so we're not going to sit through the entire track. Um, but I wanted to play actually the beginning and the end of the original soundtrack. Um, so the first one is called "Why So Serious," where I think you'll hear some bits of the Joker theme. And then the last track is called "A Dark Night." Honestly, I was trying. There's this, you know that familiar 
Dark Knight sound that you think of when you hear the movie with all the French horns and stuff. I couldn't figure out which track it was on this soundtrack. <laughs> I was like clicking around. I was like, no, it's not this one, not this one. Um, they, they didn't sound familiar to me. But um, you get a little bit of this in the in the final track. So we'll play both of those. Um and the just the interesting things here in terms of you know motif or light motif with the characters is he said that um he gave the joker a one note motif and um they, he did that i don't know just to be different and interesting but also um he wanted it to kind of mess with you psychologically, uh, where there's a lot of scenes where, you know, the Joker's trying to cause chaos. He's kind of the puppet master. Sometimes he's in a crowd, but you don't really see him until later in the scene. Um, or, you know, the camera focuses on, um, a group of people that are like tied up and their, you know, their, um, mouths are covered in duct tape and stuff. And Batman shows up on the scene and he's like, what, what happened? What's going on? And, um, mm-hmm. Anyway, but but the Joker was involved. So what he does is he he plays that one note, you know, and it maybe it kind of starts out quiet and becomes a crescendo, kind of like eerily dangling. So you know that the Joker is somehow involved in this foul play. And I think that's kind of a mm-hmm. cool idea of just like maybe there's a different theme going on and then he'll interject like that one Joker note. Um so that's the interesting thing about the Joker and uh then I'll talk a little bit more about Dark Knight when we get to the second clip. All right. Just because this is nine minutes, I'm going to skip to the final minute.
All right. That was it. It immediately went into the second track. Oh. Yeah. I think, so obviously it's good at building tension. Um, right. When you sustain, well, not technically sustain, but, you know, repeating just one note so much, mm-hmm. it kind of, it makes you uncomfortable. And then he gradually builds in another layer that um, kind of like going up a scale and Mm-hmm. It creates this effect of sometimes being in a harmonic, sometimes being, you know, um, dissonant and uh, making you uncomfortable. And then uh, skipping to the very end, uh, the other obvious thing that kind of popped out to me was the the percussive elements. I couldn't even, it was, I couldn't tell what they were using to make that. At first I thought it was like we were talking about the string slapping, but then it seemed much bigger than that. Um, it made me think of gunshots are actually punching. So it actually, it felt violent, which fits right. in with, uh, with dark Knight. Yeah. I'm sure it was, I mean, I'm sure it was something synthesized, um, most likely, <laughs> but, or recorded and then doctor, but yeah, it's like big impacts. It's hard to say kind of what instrument that was, but it, again, he brought back, you know, he's a, I'm, as I'm sure most action film composers are really uh, akin to use um, polyrhythms. So the three over two polyrhythm that rounds itself off. So one, uh, uh. So you had the huh. one two, and three, one two, and three. That kind of you can feel one two three one two three or one uh 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 uh. Those two different tempos going out at the uh-huh. same time, which of course builds a lot of a lot of tension. It makes me think of a chase, like one thing moving faster than another thing. Yeah. That kind of an idea. Um, also, at the beginning, the tension. Yeah, I mean, lots of cool effects there to build the tension. Applying like an overdrive or like a gain. Yeah, the, uh, it was. It switched from like violin. All of a sudden, now I'm listening to electric guitar. Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. It probably was just violin. And then it's just like though on a guitar amp when you, mm-hmm. you can push a button that suddenly turns up the, the gain, I guess it is. And... Um, like really distorts adds a lot of distortion mm-hmm. to the guitar and that's exactly what or adding a or clicking like a distortion pedal on you can do the same thing on a violin as long as you've got pickups on it yeah um obviously using the scraping of the string as a tension builder right so not getting a pure sound on the string but kind of playing it probably muted hmm that's probably what co- helps to make that happen. And then doubling it at the octave, so playing the same note an octave higher and then kind of bending the pitch of one of them so it doesn't, it's not quite an octave, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then starting to bend it upward, as you said, um, to, yeah. to raise the pitch. Yeah, so lots of, I mean, yeah, and, lots of really very effective. And, you know, the, the soundtrack's are obviously not a chronological like one-to-one of what you get in the movie, obviously, because mm-hmm. movies, you know, a couple hours long. So I'm sure that a lot of these motifs that we're talking about, although it's encapsulated in this piece, a lot of the interesting uses might actually happen in the wild, so to speak, like in the, in the movie itself. So um, what I was talking about with that one note, you know, it was probably introduced in a few of those scenes. There's this one scene, if if you want to watch Dark Knight and, and really focus in on this, there's the scene where there is um, there's this uh, event with all, all the police officers. There's, 
I forget what it is, like the mayor is giving out some award or whatever, and you have all the police officers lined up in the street, um, and it starts to rain, and you know, then they open umbrellas or whatever. Um, and then from one of the buildings, like a, a sniper kills someone, um, and then all hell kind of breaks loose. Joker mm-hmm. is standing in there among the police disguised. Um, and so while the speech is happening, you hear this crescendo note letting you know that Joker is there somewhere in the scene. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. It's very, a very like high end use of the light motif. Like it's not really obvious that that's the Joker's motif, but mm-hmm. then you just start, you just start to be psychologically affected. Like, Oh, there's like a constant note. <laughs> is it the Joker? Yeah, like <laughs> it's psychological. Like, all right. Anytime yeah. something bad happens, we're going to play this note. And then, you know, eventually through this movie you're going to start associating that note with bad things (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah exactly exactly all right so let's listen to a little bit of the final track called a dark night um and it's 16 minutes long so we'll skip through this one as well Uh, i'll play like a little bit of the beginning middle and then the end um there's really quick before you do that rob i did want to say um about like film score composing some things i mean that maybe some people don't know about it is that, you know, it's really, they, they do it a different way. Like if you've ever seen sheet music, like it's, they do use sheet music for musicians whenever they're recording these, but the way that they do the, like a composer lays it out is like this whole different grid system based on like minutes and seconds and, and like quarters of a second or tenths of a second, because things happen at such, you know, random intervals, like they need to capture, they need to get something to land on a specific moment. So that's one reason why when you get download the soundtracks or whatever, buy the soundtracks, they're different than the movie because the movie ones are like not really designed to be pieces of music as much as they are to fit exactly what you're seeing on the screen. Yeah. And so that's all to say that whenever you go, if you've ever gone to see a live performance of a score with the movie, that is an incredibly complex um, task you are seeing being mm-hmm. like done, especially for the conductor who to make this work. Usually they, they, I think they have a, usually a slightly edited version of the score. So you're not hearing maybe the exact score that was with the movie, but something that's been edited so that people can play like live with it and it matches up mostly. But the conductor has to be so precise with like 74 beats per minute versus 76 beats per minute. Like, hmm. um, like it's really intense because if they miss that little bit, the, you know, the, the action won't be synced up right. with the movie, especially if you're doing something like I've seen Lord of the Rings done this way yeah. or star Wars. Right. I mean, it's like you can imagine the explosions and things and how the music's right. timed up and how precise it has to be. I like so what we just heard what, with that, with the percussion mm-hmm. that comes in at the end of that uh, Joker track. I'm sure in the movie, you know, mm-hmm. Batman busts into the scene or maybe that's when they start shooting or something. Uh, you know, it really it marks uh, a shift in the environment. Right. And of course, when they record that, they get to like stop and then put this new thing in. They just drop it right in on the right moment. Yeah. But when you're doing it live, it's so much crazier. And actually, one of the cool things that they have now, which technology has helped with, is the conductor will have an iPad with the movie playing in the background. And on top of that is this like metronome system that is like counting the beats are like going by so that they can be following the beats like exactly. Wow. Um, this like the screen's like kind of like flashing with the metronome light, you know? Yeah. And they can see the movie too. So they know like if it's synced up 
huh. with what's going on. I mean, it's like kind of amazing. That's crazy. In a way that that even is possible to do with how complex scores are now. I mean, it's one thing like scores back from like, you know, early film where it wasn't like quite so action oriented. Like it wasn't quite so like the music didn't have to line up to the same nth degree that it does now the millisecond, you know? Yeah. But, Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there. An interesting little tidbit about film scores, you know. No, that's and I think that's why we're 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 doing this uh, <laughs> podcast episode. Get all these cool tidbits. Uh, on that note, um, it made me think of something else that he said in the class. Um, Hans Zimmer was saying it. Uh, he used a strategy. It kind of made me think of um, in uh, in certain famous movie scenes. Or TV scenes, uh, they even the actors themselves don't know what's in the script until like they're doing their first shoot or something because it's like a huge mm. plot twist. So they, you know, yeah. the director will keep it from the cast until it's time to shoot it. Uh, Hans does that with the musicians too. Um, he, I don't remember which movie he was referring to, but he said, you know, he needed this performer to do a really loud note, just hit it, just you know, violent, just loud, explosive, and scary. Um, in the actual piece, it's a crescendo, like this tension build, kind of like what we heard. I, I don't know if it's the same or different, but yeah, there's this build up, build up, build up. And then in the movie, you know, out of left field, bam, something needs to happen. And it needs to kind of shock you. And he said that, you know, he could ask the performer, a great performer, to, you know, do crescendo and then do, you know, quadruple fortissimo. But he said just knowing where you're going uh, impacts how you play. And so he, he, rec- he did two separate recordings. He did one recording of, you know, the guy doing a crescendo and then, and then separately um, either that person or a different person just in isolation, just do the really loud note. And mm-hmm. he did it in post uh, editing, or he combined it later. So that's right. kind of cool. Yeah, in the um, in the master class, did he reference uh, James Newton Howard at all? Uh, the other film composer. I don't think so. Because I think he wrote like some of the earlier Batman themes. He must have referenced them because it says on the Wikipedia, you know, that some of the music is by James Newton Howard. I didn't know if he talked about him in the he master class at all. I thought it was. Did Danny Elfman do any? Uh, I think Danny Elfman did some of the more silly Batmans like back in the 90s. Well, he did mention this might actually work when we go into the Dark Knight. I don't know how much of the motif is in there. And he's talking about when he's writing for through all of these movies in the Dark Knight series, um, he wanted to give this kind of dark, broken kind of characteristic to Batman. And um, so as such, he didn't write a fully formed um, theme with like resolution and stuff. He kind of wrote this snipped off version um, where it's like, shit, what is the theme? I don't remember what it was. We'll find out. But um, (laughs) he, (laughs) this is great. (laughs) (laughs) But he played it on piano and then he added a few more notes and completed the theme and it just dawned on me, that's the old theme. So the old theme that I'm familiar with is like, da na 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 na, da na 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 na, and you know, maybe that's the James Dean theme. I don't know. Um, 
and that's you know you have that and then it you know it rounds off and it's like here comes the hero um Mm -hmm. whereas he you know has sort of a stunted growth type of approach of like where it's just or something but we'll find out um (laughs) but basically yeah he uh he, he doesn't really resolve the theme or give him a full kind of heroic resolution he he wants to kind of have a little dark kind of doubtful tinge to it um and then one other note i'm sure we can talk about it after but um if it does come up in here and i've noticed in some of his other recordings he likes to play with um different physical uh recording techniques of you know miking close to the instrument versus placing the microphone far away um the french horn piece i was trying to find um which is not a piece of french horns but they're just you know a strong focus in the song uh he talked about how he had a couple um french horns he he rented out this um theater um you know like a performance hall had a couple up on stage where they normally would be and then he had a couple actually uh in the balcony and opposite balconies and he you know did the microphone in different positions and created this effect of like an initial note and then you have another french horn kind of calling down from above and then another one calling from the other side and they start to overlap and crescendo in a way that feels really full like you're in church or something and so some of this sound technique is uh you know not just again the notes on the page or the performer playing the instrument but it's also how he captures it and how he puts it together in editing as well All right. Yeah, nice. So we'll listen to parts of Dark Knight.
So yeah. Yeah. Those were the two notes I was looking for. Boom, boom. Mm-hmm. That's what I was associated, yeah, as being the, the Dark Knight's theme. Let me just real really. quick, I found the Danny Elfman bat. I just want to click on that. <laughs> oh, my. Just to like finish what I was saying about the theme, he was talking about or I don't know, I can't sing, but <laughs> those two notes, and then he played it on the keyboard, finishing it off, and that was like what I grew up with, the original Batman theme, um, which I guess is the Danny Elfman one, um, mm-hmm. or the or James Newton Howard, maybe, I don't know. yeah. Well, if I can ever play it, I don't find know out. for sure. Yeah, but um, some really interesting. Like, I guess that last note at the end, right? The it's kind of the return of the Joker's theme, right? That last, yeah, note. creeping in. It's kind of like the yeah, the like, like that's never going away kind of feeling, you mm-hmm. know. There's a lot of uh, like painting in this. That sounds like it's a lot of like things like soaring over. Like I kept thinking about like. You know, like Batman. I know Batman doesn't like fl- like straight up fly, but he's but got like, his cape r- ripples as he you know jumps off of a building. Right. Yeah, but it seemed like a lot of like something flying over, like something busy underneath. There's like the digga 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 underneath, and there's like whoa, I'm going over that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it made me think a lot about that. Like watching, like Batman is watching over the city. You know, or that kind of a thing. Yeah, um, seemed pretty effective. Yeah, that that like the the horns on top of this it makes me think of, like a gargoyle like i'm up on the mm. i'm up perched on the top of this building and i'm overlooking everyone and like you just said that is the you know people moving on the streets the or whatever yeah 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 right that's cool nothing particularly significant i guess in terms of the meaning but um i thought it was interesting how he kind of sneaks in synthesizers you know i used to think of 
Hans Zimmer mostly as a grand orchestral type of Mm -hmm. style. But the more I look back at it and actually pay attention, I realize it's full of synthesizers and he kind of like layers it in there. It's not, you know, strictly like, oh, we're going to do a techno piece or, (laughs) you know, an orchestral piece. It's just, it's, it's, he, um, he doesn't mind mixing all the ingredients. It's like augmented reality. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it is based on acoustic, your acoustic palette. Mm-hmm. But then it's like augmented to be larger than life, you know. Interesting. minutes into the 16 minute piece this is this must be the joker this is the last track yeah dark knight i bet this is the credits oh yeah could be and and it could be that with the credits too you get a little bit more of like an uh, overture style piece where it's like a little everything yep here's uh here's your sampler platter But um, yeah, anyway, I think the stuff I already talked about applies here, where you can hear sort of the fragmented theme, and um, I don't know what specific minute mark, hopefully I'll find it when I'm editing, (laughs) Uh, where I commented to you about, it sounds like he does it um, in different transpositions and there's like and then he throws in one that seems like it was in like a a minor mode or some different mode was like yeah where you would typically see kind of rounding that off. He just kind of switches keys. So he's like trying different things, but he's never really done, which I feel like is kind of like the dark Knight. And, um, yeah. Yeah. But like his work is never over. <laughs> yeah. And he's never really, uh, he's, he's very much an imperfect character. Uh, I remember, I don't know which of the trilogy it was, but I remember the scene where he's like, I give. I think it was after Rachel died. He's just like, I give up. I'm not going to be Batman anymore, or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, he realizes like he's maybe he's doing more harm than good. Um, people around him just keep dying, no matter how hard he tries. Um, that kind of feeling, um, and that, that comes across in a theme like this, where you know he's not like a Superman, where you're idolized and you're perfect. Yeah yeah so that's uh a lot of batman and sherlock um if we have time maybe we could do like one one piece of interstellar i don't know what what do you feel like doing uh i think i probably have to wrap up okay because i have a i have a call at five but um we could we could always just like quickly jump on and do interstellar as like a quick 
you know, 10 minutes sometime. Sure. Might be kind of fun. And then just plug it into one of these. Yeah. Personally, I've been playing Elite Dangerous with the Interstellar soundtrack in the background. Oh, yeah. You were telling me that. And man, <laughs> it really takes it to a whole other level. I mean, talk about music enhancing your experience. Um, I don't know if it's a coincidence because he composed that for a movie about space, but it fits in really well with this. I'm sure that's why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it creates this dread. Like I'm just, you know, cruising, like there's no, nothing to worry about in this game. Just kind of, you know, flying around in outer space, but it makes me feel scared. Like there's something over the corner or my, my ship could just implode. Um, it, yeah. Yeah. It makes <laughs> for it a totally tense. different feel. Try it with the FTL soundtrack. Okay. I'll try that um, out. Yeah. I got that with the humble is... bundle. Yeah, which is faster than I think it stands for faster than light. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, yeah. There's like a couple of tracks in there that just like it. It will feel nothing like Interstellar, but it just mm -hmm. if like there's a lot of like floating through space kind of feelings. Cool. So yeah, try it. Yeah, interesting. And you know, as I guess a final note for podcast listeners, if you know you think of. Do you, you know, do you listen to anything while you're playing video games, assuming you play some video games because you listen to us talk about it enough? Um, I'd be curious to hear, you know, what peop what music people pair with with what um, and how it enhances the experience, like Interstellar on a space game or maybe it, it you see it in a totally different light because of the music. So, uh, you know, if you want to write in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or even going beyond that, I mean, just like what, music you do with any particular activity and like why yeah is really interesting to me anyway it's true it's a little sad but i admit you know when it's other activities like doing the laundry or some chores or something i'm typically listening to spoken content like an audiobook or mm -hmm. a podcast and um i found over the years I mean, partly because I work for an audiobook company, but also just there's so many good podcasts out there. I'm just listening to more and more talk. And I used to listen to music all the time in college. I was just music, music, music. I would fall asleep listening yep. to music. And now I hear more talk, talk, talk. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I listen to music when I'm playing games or something where I'm just kind of sitting still. I think anything, well, anything that takes focus, I think it's way better to listen to music because if you try to listen to a podcast while you're playing Elite Dangerous, like sometimes it's fine if you're doing something mindless, but if you're like in a dog fight or something, yeah, you're like not paying attention to anything they're saying whatsoever. Exactly. Um, the same is true for if I'm like doing like work or doing emails or something like I can't listen to a podcast and do that because I can't focus on both those things at the same time. So I have like, I listen to like Bonobo, uh, who's a electronic music, uh, composer and producer hmm. and i mean that's like the perfect it's like down tempo like um check it out yeah down tempo electronic music and it's perfect for doing work because it doesn't like ever get in the way but it kind of makes you feel good it like sits right in that like yeah. nice like 80 beats per minute you know kind of nine eighty to 90 do you ever uh see on youtube like at least for me sometimes they'll feature like lo-fi beats and stuff like that I've, I tried after because I was trying to branch out from mm -hmm. Bonobo a little bit. I suggested to do lo-fi. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I just, nothing quite hits me like Bonobo does. So well, I, just I need to always, try listening to that. To that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's cool. All right. All right well, man. I'll let you go. Yeah. It's been good. We've been podcasting for like almost two hours. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. We, uh, you'll get an yeah, hour. we got a solid hour out of this. And I'm going to you know <laughs> add in music, so maybe even a little bit more. 
Cool. Yeah, maybe I'll just delete this file. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. All right. Um, Take it easy, Rob. Have a good weekend. Let me know when you want to meet up again. See you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait. One more thing. Uh, This is Editor Rob chiming in at the end after I've chopped everything together. Just wanted to say, of course, thank you so much for listening and thank you for your patience. There's been a pretty big gap here between episodes. I'm very much aware and I apologize for leaving everyone on a cliffhanger, um, of all things. So just to let you know, um, you know, there's a few reasons for this delay to be totally honest, primarily it's procrastination. Um, but I did move and had a whole lot of stuff going down and, uh, just, you know, took a while to get sufficiently settled to where, I could get down to my bottom priority, which is editing podcasts. (laughs) So, um, hey, if I'm editing a podcast, then life is good. So let's just put it that way. Anywho, um, just to kind of set your expectations, there is a part three. And I can promise it will be out within a month. But, you know, now that I'm in the swing of things, it might be a little bit sooner. So we'll see. Um, so anyway, that's the, that's the update on that. Uh, hope you enjoyed part two, part three coming soon. Uh, I also have another episode in the backlog with me and Alex, just kind of catching up on life as we usually do and, uh, how things have been going since I moved and uh, another big event in his life. And then after that, we should be back up to date. Um, and I'll have an episode featuring Mike Rappin. Always great to have him on the podcast. So keep an eye out for that. All the other episodes coming up. And, you know, as we already mentioned, please, please just send us a tweet or whatever uh, you want to contact us with. Let us know what you're interested in. You like stuff like this? Do you prefer just the casual chit chat? I mean, you don't know any of us, so I don't know why you would. But who knows? Uh, let me know. And I can make more of the things people like. That's crazy, right? <laughs> okay. Yep, that's all. I'll uh, end the episode now. I, I really got to find a good way to conclude episodes. Okay, here's the end. And I'm going to hit stop now. Okay. Goodbye.